Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. All right, well, it's continuing our series this morning, Open to the Spirit, and we're looking this morning at Open to the Victory of the Spirit. And I think we all like that word victory. We all like to be on the winning side. You know, we say things like, to the victor go the spoils. History is written by the victors. Whether it's playing board games or sport or supporting our sports team or getting the best marks or getting the best job position that we can, getting promoted. You know, I'd realized uh, the other, well, just this morning actually, that I'm so competitive that to try and bond with my sons who love video games, I try to play video games with them and they want to do the option where we play together as a team and we're as a team against the computer racing in, in kart racing. But I'll say no because I want to verse them. I want to beat them. <laughs> I'm not satisfied with the computer. Ironically, I lose more often than not. But it's just that competitive drive to win and to win legitimately. We like winning arguments. I certainly enjoy winning arguments and the stories told of uh, a man and his wife who were having a big argument one day and it was so big that they gave each other the silent treatment. And two days in, the man realized he had a problem because he needed to get up early the next morning for a job interview, but he was known to sleep in uh, past alarms that went off, so he needed his wife. He didn't want to be the one to break the silence, so he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me at 5 a.m., And he made sure it was in a place where she would have to see it and follow the instructions. Well, the next morning he awoke to discover his wife had already left the bed. It said 9 a.m. on the uh, clock next to him. He'd missed his job interview. It was long gone. And so he he stood up fast out of bed, was ready to give his wife a piece of his mind, ironically break the silence to do it. But he noticed on his bedside there was a piece of paper there that said this. It's 5 a.m., wake up. We don't like to lose anything. We don't like to give ground. There's something within us that wants to win. But in our Christian walks, more often than not, what we come to feel as we go through this life is that we're losing. It's not uncommon to feel like life is overwhelming. We find ourselves yelling at our kids for the 20th time that afternoon, we find ourselves snapping at our spouses over the littlest things. You know, we get easily offended and hold grudges, or we find ourselves being critical to judge someone. And we start to feel like, oh, you know what? I'm not doing a good job, Jesus. I'm not following you well. And it can get discouraging. It can weigh us down. We can wonder, you know, am I losing this thing called Christianity? Am I really following Jesus? Then there's other times, maybe even the next day, where you get up and you just feel like you're on top of the world and that, you know, it's you and Jesus against the world and that you're going from height to height and all is well and everything's good. And so we have this kind of spiritual seesaw going on in our lives where we're up, down, up and down one moment to the next. Why does this happen? And how do we know when we're following Jesus and, and going in the way he would have us go or if we're losing? How do we know these things? Well, Paul addresses these questions in our reading today, which comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25. 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul begins this passage by stating the victory, that if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. We will not live according to its passions and desires. That's the victory. It's not the law that can keep us in control. It's not doing better, trying harder, exercising greater willpower, you know, meditating days on end to find your center. What gives you victory in this life is the Spirit of God, is living by that Spirit. There's no other way. It's why Jesus died. It's why He ascended, so that the Spirit could come to your life and to mine. Paul's saying this is the victory. But with every victory, there's also a battle to get to that stage. And so in verse 17, Paul says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the flesh, sorry, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not, are not to do whatever you want. Another translation says, they're in conflict with one another, so that you're not able to do what you want. So in every Christian life, there's these two sources of desire at play. There's two opposing forces at conflict with one another. It's like two boxes in a a boxing ring. You know, in one corner we have the flesh, and the flesh isn't literally the body here. What it means is the sinful fallen nature. It's that source of desire to live apart from God, not just in genuine rebellion, but because we don't know any other way than to follow what is instinctive to us, things like fear. Things like shame, when they manifest in our lives and drive us to action and thought and words, it's the flesh at play, trying to set up coping mechanisms to live this life apart from God. We don't have to depend on God if, we, if fear works in such a way that it makes us respond like this or that. But then when we come to Jesus, a new boxer steps into the ring and it's the Spirit of God. And we find in verse 24, Paul says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the fight in all truth is over before it begins. 
because he's talking past tense. The flesh has been crucified, its desires and passions with it. So the victory has been won. When Jesus got on that cross and hung there, the Lord put our flesh upon him, our sins, our iniquities, our punishment. He bore it. They were crucified. And then as he rose to life, so too we rise to life because of him. But what happens with the flesh is a little bit like the headless chook. And I've probably used this analogy before, but I grew up in the country. Uh, we had a big backyard and we always had chooks in a chicken coop uh, and they were there to lay eggs for us, but every now and again they would stop laying eggs and so my dad had to find another way to make them useful. And uh, there was one particular day where I was coming out the back door and into the backyard and uh, to, came around the corner to, just in time to see my dad holding a chicken uh, in his hand by the neck, a, a, I was going to say sword, it wasn't a sword, it was an axe, an axe in the other hand, and he put the uh, chicken's head down and swung quickly, and of course, the chicken was dead, but that wasn't the end of the story. What happens is the chicken's head plops to the ground, but the body just gets a life of its own and starts running around until it eventually collapses on the floor, because there's muscle memory, there's the nerve ending still at play, it's a headless chook, and until it takes a while for those things to ease out and it is truly no more, and it's like that with our flesh. It, you know, Jesus has chopped its head off, the power of it, the tooth of it is gone, but it still continues to distract. It still continues to be at play in our lives and to try and get us to run away with it, so to speak. So Paul warns us in this passage, we're in a battle. There's still a battle going on. Be warned, be aware that this battle is happening inside of you and me. It's still at play because the flesh is a present force in some sense. But we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we desire to live with God, not apart from Him. We desire to do what He wants and He empowers us to then do that as well. We don't wake up Christ-like in all that we think and say and that we do. And we know that by experience. None of us have woken up one day and been entirely Christ-like in all that we do. But the Spirit has come and we need to learn to walk by the Spirit. It's like, that's why Jesus, I think, talks about being born again, being born from above. Because we start as infants in the Spirit and then we learn and we grow as the Spirit leads us over time. But there's still times where we lose a battle here and there, where we give in to our fleshly desires. And uh, I think it's a bit like uh, when I was growing up, I was the eldest of four boys. So growing up, I was always the biggest and the strongest, which is ironic today because I'm the weakest and the smallest. But I was the biggest and the strongest at the time. And so whenever fights would break out between us as they inevitably would, I was usually the one inflicting the damage. But one day, uh, my brother and I, Peter, who's only 18 months younger than me, we were in the backyard playing cricket, and he was batting and I was bowling, and this particular occasion, I got him out, and he disputed my decision, but he disputed even more my crowing in celebration after it. And so, after he'd thrown away the cricket bat, he ran over to grab it, picked it up, and started chasing me with it, with this cricket bat in hand, waiting to hit me. And so naturally I ran and, and tried to get away, but at some point I tripped and fell and uh, ended up 
getting hurt, not by the cricket bat. He didn't end up hitting me with it, but <laughs> I, was, I came off second best. I lost this particular battle. And you know, our Christian lives can be about that sometimes. We lose a battle here and there to the flesh. We do still struggle with sin and with evil desires and with these things that play in the world around us that we see. We stumble and fall. And sometimes it gets us down. We get discouraged. And we, you know, there's, uh, it's probably more a problem for the younger crew, but you can wonder sometimes, am I really a Christian? Would a Christian really do these things? How can I reconcile that with what I read and what I see in Scripture? Well, it's because the flesh continues to be at play. It's a battle. It's a war. And sometimes we lose those battles. But by the Spirit of God, we may lose a battle, but we will win the war because the Spirit of God is victorious. How do we know then if we're living from the desires of the flesh or if we're in the Spirit? And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in verses 19 to 21. He gives us a description of a person who's operating out of the flesh. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he lists off 15 separate things, but they're kind of in four different groupings. We can understand them that way. The first group is in the area of sex. And he gives sexual immorality first as his uh, example of a fleshly act. And Sexual immorality in the Greek comes from the word pornea, which is where we get our English word pornography or porn. Uh, but in the Greek context, it's much wider than that, obviously. It, it derives from the word to, to sell off, to surrender. So it's the idea of selling your sexual purity to another, trading it away for what is cheap and what is quick and what is easy. So it includes things like fornication outside of marriage. It includes uh, adultery, things like that. But it's very wide in its application. Impurity means to be unclean. Uh, it's the idea or was used as a word to describe when you had a, you know, a festering, scabby uh, wound on your body and the pus kind of pops out. It's very disgusting. But, uh, and it became associated with lust. It's the equivalent of what lust is doing. You know, to look at a wound like that is the equivalent of what we're doing when we lust. Debauchery is just an old-timey word for sensuality, and uh, in the Greek it means to, to lack restraint. You just go with the desire and the whim of the season in a sexual way. You lose, lose all self-control. The second uh, area he classifies is religion, sins directly against God. Idolatry there is uh, obviously literally bowing down to other gods, but the heart of idolatry really is something that we can struggle with because it's going to another source for what you need out of life. You know, it's not just literally worshipping something else. It's the idea behind bowing before an idol is so that when you worship it, this idol, it will give you something in return. You pay homage to it so that it gives back to you. And we can easily do that with God. We can easily treat Him as a commodity, as a consumer. Same with witchcraft. Witchcraft, uh, that word there in its day, was referring to people who would take drugs so that they could, under the influence, engage with spiritual powers, with demons and spirits, and try and manipulate those spirits to do what they wanted. You know, it's that idea of manipulation again with the divine. 
if there's a heart within us to manipulate God, to think as though that we can get out of him what we want and still do this and that, whatever we feel like, is witchcraft. Third area is the relational sins. And this is where he categorizes most of them. Eight out of the 15 fall into this category of relationships. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. So Paul is clearly trying to emphasize that the way we treat each other matters. The way you treat your family, your friends, your church, your society, your co-workers, it matters enough for it to dominate this space, this list. Indulgences, drunkenness, orgies, they're all about living for pleasure, living under the influence so that you can do whatever you want, overindulging, living and constantly pursuing pleasure to fill the voids of your heart so that you don't have to feel pain, that you don't have to feel discomfort about your life. Voids that only Christ can truly feel. And you know, when we understand, someone said to me even after last night, that you know, in the past they've been able to look at lists like this, idolatry, witchcraft, and think, oh, I've got nothing to do with that. But when you understand the heart of what's behind these acts as well, you realize that you probably, from time to time, at the very least, fit within this list. And it's a serious thing. Paul says uh, at the end of verse 21, after he lists off these things, and he says things like this and the like. So it's not even an exhaustive list. It's, it's uh, just meant to give you a guide. And I liken it a bit to, um, to, I think what Paul's doing here is trying to, cover so many things but leave open others because he knows that each one of us is a bit like our own lawyers. We all try and use excuses and come up with loopholes and say, well, if I don't fit into that, then I'm okay. But it's meant to be a catch-all. If you're living in sin, then you're operating from the flesh, is his point. And he says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word live there is, it literally means to practice. So it's the idea of regularly doing something. So habitually, repeatedly, unrepentedly doing these things means that you're operating from the flesh. And if that's you and me, we've got to heed the warning. It's a serious thing. In our Western culture, we don't like to talk in terms of black and white. We don't like to say that if you're operating from the flesh, then you'll end up outside the kingdom of God. But Paul, this is the word of God. This is the truth. If you are these things, then you can't dwell with God at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. They're contradictory forces. We need to turn quickly to the Spirit. So what does the life of the Spirit look like? How do we know if we're in the operating and living from the Spirit? Well, that's why he says in verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so notice that the language shifts. It was acts of the flesh uh, when it came to that list. This time it's about fruit because he's trying to highlight the significance of these are what we do, but this is now about what the Spirit does. 
There's a new agent at play within us and that if we live by the Spirit, these things inevitably will come. So throughout our passage, he uses phrases like a walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and they all essentially mean the same thing. Surrender. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His thing in your life. Surrender. Allow Him. He's there. He's present. He's a force to be reckoned with. Just allow Him. Because we're not robots. We have choice. We have will. We have an exercise of our desires to make. He says, allow the Spirit to do His thing. And He will bear these things. He will take you in this direction. You'll start to look more like these fruits than you will the acts of the flesh. It's a bit like uh, a locomotive train. You know, there's an engine, a lead engine, where the power and the force comes from and then all the carriages coupled behind it. We're like the, the carriages. The Holy Spirit is the locomotive And it's the lead engine and it gives us, it leads us forward. It keeps us on the track. It is the source of power to follow behind it. All we need to do is allow ourselves to be pulled along. Or in the fruit, the tree metaphor, when it's planted in healthy soil, it just, it has to grow. You know, it's planted in healthy soil. It's a good seed. It will grow, but it's gradual and it takes time. And eventually, it won't just produce one item of fruit. It'll be multiple forms of fruit. And when we look at those two lists together, we start to understand why there's a difference, why they can't... Will, if we could just get the next slide up, please. Thank you. We start to see that why Paul says that you can't have both together. It's an either-or on any given occasion because you can't love someone and hate them at the same time. You can't have uh, joy in your heart, but then be jealous of others. You can't be kind and selfish at the same time. It's one or the other. It's the spirit or the flesh. And as we start to reflect on these things, it becomes obvious where the dominating force of our life is being spent. What's really, truly leading us becomes obvious. And I think when we look at the acts of the flesh side, it becomes obvious that what we see out in the world on our TV screens, uh, in the movie theaters, in the news each day, in the political factions that war against each other and the people that follow those arguments, you know, the, the addiction to porn and drugs and alcohol and all those sorts of things, it's a perfect picture of the world, totally dominated and enslaved by the flesh. Well, that's one thing to recognize, but the bigger question for me, and I hope to put to you, is does the church look at like the fruit side? Church worldwide? And then does our church look like the fruit of the Spirit side? Are we drawing from the Spirit or are we drawing from the flesh? Which one is your life reflecting at the moment? And I know and I, I feel as though we are definitely on the fruit side. But Lord, make us more, take us deeper, take us further, help us to put down roots in that healthy soil. Because we want to live with the spiritual gifts. You know, we want to be in prophecy and healing and words of knowledge and tongues and all of those things. We want the spiritual gifts to be in operation in our church. But we first want the giver of the gifts. We want to honor the person of the Holy Spirit and then all else will flow. 
We want to be a church so spirit-filled, so spirit-led that we reflect to all we meet and to our community the heart and character of God. That's what should bring us together. It's what should get us out of bed in the morning every day is that if I follow and live by the Spirit, I will be those things and do those things and it will profoundly transform the world around me. Because when someone looks at those two sides of the panel, what do you think they really would want to see. I mean, those things, I've got to get my sides right, those things are horrible in reality. When we see them for what they are, they're dirty. And you know, one thing that I, I say often, maybe not from the platform, but it strikes me so much about what we read in the Gospels is that people were attracted to Jesus. Crowds would follow Jesus. They'd flock to him. They'd want to be wherever Jesus was because of who he was, because he oozed the fruit of the Spirit and because he did amazing things and because he taught with authority, but it was because of who he was that he would sit down in the soil with the adulterous woman and pardon her, that he would allow a an older woman to touch and be healed and then to take her aside and to explain she'd experienced, to be compassionate and to weep when he sees his friends crying over someone who'd passed away. Jesus is attractive because the Spirit of God is those things. And people will flock to you and us for hope, for signs of life, for something beyond their experience of the world if we live by the Spirit. If we allow the flesh to do its thing and die and to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, let your nature, let your heart so fill me that I can't help but do these things. How can we do that? How can we partner with him? Notice that in all the first senses and phrases, it's it's about what the spirit does in us. But Paul ends in verse 25 with these words, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. This is the command side of this. There is something for us to do. It is a partnership with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and with us. It's like every relationship. It only works if it's mutual. I can't be in a relationship with my wife if I'm constantly spending time over the other side of Australia. It doesn't work very well. It's not as meaningful or as impactful as if I'm present with her daily. The word in Greek for keep in step uh, means to to walk and march in a row. And it was like the word uh, or the image was used of the military where they, I don't know if you've seen on TV, but they'll often have armies. uh, I think of probably more seen it in Korean armies or Chinese armies or where they just, they're marching in perfect, oh, it's terrible should have stretched before I came, but <laughs> you, get, you get the idea that they march out in perfect, flawless unison. They're keeping in step with one another. When I was growing up, my grandfather, who'd been in World War II, uh, used to sing a song to help us learn how to march in time, and it was something like, um, oh no, I won't sing it because it's not very flattering, but uh, it was, there's a song that you can keep in time. That's what it was. I left my wife in New Orleans with 45 cents and a can of beans. I thought it was right, right, right for my country. Whoops-a-daisy. And as you're singing those words, your legs are moving in time, and it's very fun as a child. But uh, this is the idea. What am I trying to say? 
We're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, the other analogy I guess to use is, uh, and this is why it's here, for those who are horrified that we had a vacuum cleaner on the stage, all the uh, OCD of you, because our appliances have to be plugged into a power source to work. And like this vacuum cleaner, there's a battery in here that gives it power. It is plugged in, ready to go. But it's only when you hold the button down that it works. The minute you stop and release the button, it fails to work as it should. And so it's an image for us in this life to keep a hold of the Spirit, to keep in step with Him. It's a present and continuous action. Every day, plug into the source that's already there waiting for you and keep the power on. It's a very uh, easy thing to say, but, you know, sometimes when we talk about, you know, follow the Spirit, live with the Spirit, it can be really difficult to understand what that actually looks like. It's a nice notion, Michael. It's a nice idea, but how do I do it? Well, as I bring this to a close, I just want to run through things quickly that I think can help, and uh, it's not to become a slave to these things, but they do, as you practice them, open your heart to the reality of the Spirit at the very least and give you something tangible to run with to start to uh, encourage the work and the life of the Spirit to be at play in you. The first is we need to acknowledge our need. We need to recognize that apart from the Spirit of God at work in me, I can do no good thing. There is nothing of value, of lasting eternal value that will last if the Spirit is not at work in and through me. And so it's not just a, you know, a a giving notion to that, but to spending some time just allowing that truth to settle in your heart. Actually, it's true that before you, Jesus, I was lost, but now with you I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's only because of the you part that these things are possible. I need you, Lord. I need your spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Lead me, Holy Spirit. It all comes from you. Part of acknowledging our need is that when we know that we've gone the wrong way, that we confess, that we confess our sin. The scripture, the New Testament is clear about this. We don't do it much as part of our church life anymore, but confession is vital because it's that acknowledgement that I gave into the flesh today. I've taken myself off the train tracks, so to speak, and I need to go back on. But if I'm not aware of that, then how do I know that I'm actually wandering down this path when I should be on that one? So we need to give time and attention and ask the Lord, search my heart, O God. Examine my thoughts and deeds and reveal to me anything that you have against me. Where am I out of line? And what do I need to come back to you? If it's anything that I've learned in my journey with the Lord very clearly, It's that the Spirit will convict you of sin, but He does it in such a profoundly gentle but also uh, clear way that it humbles you. And you don't want to have anything to do with it anymore because there's grace and truth at once. And it's horrifying in some senses, but it's liberating as well because it allows you to leave it at the cross and to live and have your being in Him. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. 
So we have nothing to fear. Jesus is an open door. He meditates before the Father constantly on our behalf, saying, Lord, remember me. I was the one who died for them. Have mercy on them. Forgive them. Look at my stripes. Look at my, you know, it's so profound that when Jesus came back from the dead and went among the disciples, that he still had his nail-scarred hands. He still had the wounds in his feet. It's this remembrance of what he's done for you and for me. Acknowledge our need. Second, we pray. We create time and space in our day where we say, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want me to do today for you? Is there anything you want to reveal to me in this moment? What are you saying? What are you doing? How can I partner with you in this day? And then as he does that, he will empower you to do it too. The third is that we trust. We trust that God's word is true. We believe, we stir ourselves to faith that when it says that the flesh has been crucified, that we're no longer victims and slaves to sin. We don't have to go down those paths anymore. One of the things that it took me a while to understand as a new Christian was that it is possible to break habits of sin in your life. You do not have to stay in bondage. You can't get out of it on your own, but that's why the Spirit comes to liberate you from these things. And you might go two steps forward, but one step back, but allow Him to do His work and you will walk free. The fourth, after we've acknowledged our need, after we've prayed and sought His help, after we've believed and trusted that His Word is true and there is power and freedom for our lives, then we can act and we can act in confidence and do those things we know that we should, that he's asking us to. Because the word says that he will cause you both to will and to act according to his good purposes. You know, you can act in confidence knowing that if you are going down the wrong path with something, that if you are working against his will, so to speak, he's faithful to let you know. He'll tell you, Somehow, by circumstance, by direct line, by someone else, you will come into knowledge of where you're going wrong. So act and act with freedom. Finally, we can be thankful because the Spirit is working in your life. If you are in Christ, this is your life and your reality. You are being transformed from the inside outward. And we can all testify that it's not I, but Christ in me. Any good, any virtue that comes through us and from us is to the glory of God the Father and through Jesus Christ, His Son. And we need to be thankful of that, reflect that. As we close, I just want to encourage you to be like the elephants. And uh, I was driving home uh, during the week and this, this image of the elephants came into my mind and so I wanted to share it as, as, I think, a metaphor for what our life is like with the Spirit. And uh, elephants uh, live in herds and are known to uh, form close bonds and connections. They grieve over lost ones. Uh, they are intimate with each other. They live in these herds, mostly the females with the children. The males go off and do their own thing, which probably doesn't surprise us, isn't truth to life. But 
In each of these herds, there'll be a matriarch, the oldest and the wisest and the most experienced female. And when they travel long distances to find their food and water, the matriarch will take her place at the front of the queue, so to speak, and then the elephants behind her will link one after the other, tail to trunk. And it's particularly important for the young ones because the young ones are able to keep pace because the matriarch is setting the speed and going as fast as the tail behind her will allow her. And so everyone stays in line and up with the pace until they reach their final destination. The other thing it does is it protects the young ones from predators because the young are always surrounded from the front and from behind with bigger, (laughs) more scary females who ward off any threats to their young's life. It stops the calves from wandering off and being in danger. I think it's just this beautiful picture of our lives with the Holy Spirit. He's the matriarch, so to speak, who takes the position there in our hearts and says, just hold on to me. I will lead you. I will take you to a place of fruitfulness and blessing. But don't let go. And you do have to still walk. It's no good for the young one to just sit there on his backside and go no steps. You have to walk along behind. But as we do, it stops us from wandering off. It stops us from allowing temptation to entice and drag us away. But we need to cling and take hold of the elephant in front of us, so to speak, the Holy Spirit, trusting him with each step, keeping in step with him, allowing ourselves to be led. Let's meditate in prayer and ask the Lord to reveal what source is dominating my life at the moment. These two boxes in the ring, who's winning the battle, so to speak? Who am I letting dominate my desires? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come before you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.